0: You're listening to Beyond the Measure, Episode 17. Listen as I, a young composer, and my wife, a young choir director, interview other music educators in order to gain insight into their own success in the classroom. We have a lot to learn, and we want you to learn with us. No matter your age, ensemble, or experience, this is the ideal podcast for music educators, composers, and students alike. So join us as we go beyond the measure. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond the Measure. It feels like it has been a long time since we recorded an episode now that we've switched to a bi-weekly schedule. Uh, I am actually not here with my beautiful co-host, Kira, this week because she woke up this morning feeling pretty under the weather, and so uh, while our guest was here, we thought it'd be best if maybe she just kind of uh, stayed in our room and, and not risk anything, but she's here. She's, she's okay, but um, she's just trying to get rested up for, for the week. Um, she has started school now um, at her new middle school. She's doing really well with that but of course it's really exhausting as well and so (laughs) that's probably where we're kind of she's feeling some of the effects at this point as I'm sure many of you listening are as well but um, but anyways we have a very special guest uh, on our show this week we have Dr. Jeffrey Cottrell thank you for being on the show with us
1: my pleasure. I'm looking forward to it.
0: Oh, thank you. Um, would you mind telling us first of all just what all you do? Uh, you know, you work at Hardin Simmons. Kind of tell us what your your title is and what all you do around town and and all that fun stuff.
1: Well, let me see if I can sum that up. <laughs> um, we're a small Christian university, and it's very common, especially in the School of Music, for professors to wear a lot of different hats because you know we can't hire. A professor for every little thing. Yeah. So, um, my main teaching jobs are um, low brass lessons, trombone, euphonium, tuba. I teach those students private lessons whether they're going to become a performer or an educator or whatever, try to gear their lessons towards what their specialty is declared might be. And um, I teach the jazz ensemble, the tuba euphonium ensemble, the trombone ensemble. I teach music theory. I teach computer music applications And probably something else I forgot about. Oh, I teach composition, duh. (laughs) Um, And I'm also the associate dean of the School of Music. Uh, The dean over me is the dean of the College of Liberal Arts, the Cynthia Ann Parker College of Liberal Arts, which we affectionately call (laughs) Cap-Cola. And uh, he's Dr. Stephen Cook, and he's wonderful and supportive, and does everything he can to uh, to defend the School of Music and promote the School of Music. and I'm grateful for him,
0: yeah. and And I actually took. Uh, a couple of composition classes with uh, with Dr. Cottrell uh, my sophomore year of college and that was a really fun class. Uh, pr- first of all, because it was just me and one other person <laughs> in there with him, and so we got to do a lot of fun. Um, that that specific year for composition classes in in our degree plan was. I feel like it was a little bit more of an exploration of a lot of different styles and techniques uh and a lot of that kind of stuff. And it was really, it was really fun. Really you remember fun that
1: correctly. That's good to know.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I, I remember something from in there, but that's one of the classes that whenever I'm talking to people in admissions at HSU, uh, I'm, I'm like, yeah, one of my classes, it was only me and one other person. And they're like, whoa. And I'm like, yeah, well, that may or may not happen to you, but it is possible. <laughs> so, um, well, cool. Well, um, well, once again, thanks for, thanks for coming on. And yeah, you do a lot sure. of stuff around, uh, around HSU and in the community. Um, did you mention the, um, you're, you're also in the, uh, the key city brass. Group, yeah, right? I,
1: I, I do as much performing in the community as I can. Um, there has been a lot more of that in the last year. Mm-hmm. It's, And not just me. I'm hearing this from a lot of local musicians. It seems that people are so excited to be out of the pandemic that they're just hiring live music a lot more, which is great. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. That's the way it should be. Uh, So. I play in the Key City Brass. I play tuba with them. I play trombone with the West Texas Jazz Orchestra, and and I play lead trombone, not bass trombone. Often when people find out I play tuba and trombone, they say, oh, so you play bass trombone. Well, oddly enough, I play the high lead parts. Um, I um, I also play euphonium sometimes with the uh, jazz concho, uh, jazz combo out of San Angelo. This past year... I played euphonium for performances of Gustav Holst's The Planets, with the Midland Odessa Symphony Orchestra, which is now called the West Texas Symphony. They sort of refined their name. Mm. And I played it with the Abilene Philharmonic. Uh, If I'm lucky, I might get to play it with a San Angelo symphony this fall. I noticed they've got it on their program, but they haven't called me yet. Fingers (laughs) crossed. I also played tuba this last year with a San Angelo symphony. um, And I played trombone with the Abilene Philharmonic. It's been crazy, uh, but a blessing. (laughs) Yeah. Not to mention little quintet gigs and jazz combo gigs here and there. So, uh, but that's great if you're a, a teaching musician. I feel like it gives you street cred, if you will, <laughs> with your students, that you're actually out there doing it, and, and you know the scene, and you're experiencing yeah. you know, the real world on your instrument. I hate that saying – Uh, those that can do those that can't teach. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. That that
1: doesn't work in the music world. Besides we're evaluated as professors by how active we are in our profession. Mm. So if you're a musician, you know, teaching you're at a university, you're expected to be performing as well. Yeah,
0: Definitely. That's something we've talked about a lot on. I feel like on previous episodes is about the importance of whether it's for your job or not. Um, the importance of still making sure you're going out and performing Mm -hmm. in the public along with whatever you're doing as a teacher. Because that's nothing
1: else. I need to sound better than my students. So I gotta stay in (laughs) shape.
0: Yeah, that's a good point. I didn't even think about that. That's that's as good a motivation as any. (laughs) Well well could so could you tell us a little bit about um I mean however much you want about kind of how you came to do music um yeah I'd and, be happy to and all your your journey through all your different experiences in regards to that
1: Well I I think it's an entertaining story I hope you do <laughs> Um so when I was um in elementary school my uh, best friend was a fellow named Colin Smith and we loved the Beatles mm-hmm. and um this is really going to date me but I only recently came to the realization that when I was buying Beatles records and just discovering the group as like a first grader, okay, I was into into music from a young age. My parents listened to everything, everything from Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass to Rimsky-Korsakov. They had a Mm. huge record collection, a huge reel-to-reel tape collection. You young kids can look up to see what that is. Look it up. And... um, so, I was very much into the Beatles first, second, third grade. And anyway, it just recently occurred to me that they were still a band. I was mm-hmm. buying records before they broke up. Wow. <laughs> and I and then that triggered the memory of, you know, discovering that they had broken up, I think, in 1972. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, anyway, so, of course, I wanted to play guitar. So, when I was eight years old, I talked to my parents into getting me guitar lessons. And... I remember very little about those guitar lessons because I was just fascinated watching my teacher play. And then he would teach me something and I would be like, yes, yes, I would do it. And then I would go home and play baseball and ride my bike and and play. And then a week later, my parents would say, it's time for your guitar lesson. And I would be like, oops. <laughs> and then after a few weeks of that, the guitar teacher asked actually asked my parents if they would stop lessons for me because i had no musical talent
0: wow wow
1: now that i'm a teacher myself and a professional musician and this this was a young guy of course but that's a stupid thing to say to an eight-year-old yeah (laughs) no it's not no musical talent they might be the next mozart they're just not disciplined and they're distracted and Mm -hmm. you know that's (laughs) what the problem was so um, at the end of elementary school, we would go straight to junior high, what's usually middle school for people now. And, mm-hmm. and at the school I went to, you had to choose for your electives. If you were going to be in football and athletics, you couldn't be in band. Mm-hmm. You had to do one or the other. Yeah. And we got a P.E. credit for being in band because our junior high band marched at football games. A marching wow. band. Wow, marching for middle school eleven band. and twelve year olds. <laughs> wow, that's- so uh, in elementary school, all the kids I know that that were like bullies or jerks were going to play football, <laughs> and I, I like sports, but I'm like, you know what? I, I really want to be in band because I don't want to be around these guys anymore. <laughs> but I was terrified of it because I knew I had no musical talent. <laughs> well, I talked to an older neighbor boy. It was in high school, and he said, pick the baritone, uh, which is actually a euphonium. But he said, pick the baritone. That's what—that's uh, one of the easiest instruments in the band to play. So I said, okay, I'll pick baritone. And when I went to my first beginner class, I was really intimidated. But I started to do it, and turns out I had a knack for it. I was a little more mature. And then when we had our first chair test, Um, I beat one of the other guys sitting next to me and it felt good Hmm. to win. And so I started practicing more. Next thing you know, I was first chair and, uh, I loved to practice. It was fun. I was learning songs, learning to play, you know, cartoons, melodies, and things that, that I knew, uh, listening to my parents' records and trying to figure out how to play the melody to Scheherazade by rimsky Korsakov. Yeah. I'm trying to do things like that when I'm 11, 12 wow. years old. <laughs> and um, my older brother was in band. He played trombone. And um, so I quickly forgot about that guitar teacher I had. When I was eight years old and by the time I got to high school, I was, you know, very successful as a band member, uh, first chair, all region, first chair, all state. Uh, and I think it was my junior year in the all state band in San Antonio, uh, that I thought to myself, this is what I want to do when I go to college is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And, um, at the same time, I was—I uh, uh, became a born again Christian when I was fifteen, mm-hmm. uh, thanks to the influence from some uh, good friends that God put in my life. And uh, I felt really um, uh, compelled to uh, give my talents to God. Do what you want to with them, and and He's done that. Mm-hmm. Um, so many times I've looked back on my life and realized that. Doors were closed because I was going in the wrong direction, and it's frustrating. And you think I'm not being successful? I'm a failure. Actually, God's just shepherding you in another direction. Yeah, um, yeah. I got my bachelor's degree in composition. At the time, contemporary Christian music in the early 80s was really starting to explode. I wanted to write music and play in a band or at least compose for a band that did contemporary Christian music. Um, I had a few close calls. Uh, I had an album contract with a studio at one point. Wow! I had uh, a couple of my songs produced in in a studio, w- which um, – I've lost the recordings to those. Oh, man. And, Wonderful. Know, I don't know. Maybe that's for the best. <laughs> um, I've got one that we didn't finish in the studio that's pretty cool. It's very 1980-sounded, mm-hmm. s- you know, synthesizers, yeah. sequenced <laughs> stuff, nice. everything. Not a single real instrument on the whole thing except for <laughs> the voice. Um. But anyway... In order to support my composition habit, I was teaching private lessons in the local high schools and junior highs and middle schools. I developed a pretty big studio. Uh, I had at one point about 85 or 86 private students in this school district I was teaching in. Um, that's enough to be able to afford, you know, a house payment. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that, that was I that was doing great. And uh, a band director friend of mine just up. Uh, you know, there's certain conversations you have that are just burned in your mind and other things you you can't remember, like your guitar teacher's name when you were eight years old. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember Stuart Verdon. He was a band director at Grapevine High School. And uh he took me aside one day and said, you know, you're blessed as a teacher. Your students do well. They're productive. You have a gift. Why don't you pursue teaching instead of you know, composition in a contemporary Christian rock band or something. Yeah. <laughs> and wow, that really struck me. And that's when I decided to go to graduate school. And um suddenly everything just started to fall into place. Yeah. It was and like I'd finally gotten off the dirt road and onto the highway. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah.
0: And you, you said, and where did you get your bachelor's, first of all?
1: North Texas State University, which okay. is now – UNT, University of North Texas. Okay.
0: And so then you went to get your master's in...
1: In uh, master's in performance. Okay. So bachelor's in composition and theory, master's in performance with a minor in education, and then my doctorate in uh, performance with a minor in musicology. Uh, All three at North Texas. Because it was convenient. It was a great school. Yeah, sure. You know, it's one of the best music schools in the world. Mm -hmm. I I looked at... I mean, I, I knew... Other people that had um, – uh, when they did their graduate degree, they'd go to a different school, mm-hmm. okay? But I looked at different schools, and I just felt like the ones in our area didn't offer the same um, – just I'm, – I'm not dumping on other schools in that yeah, area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just didn't have the same um, – Oomph. <laughs> oomph, yes. <laughs> and also, I had established my private lesson studio, which – you know, you, you can't just move to, you know, say Chicago, because I did look at Northwestern, and then suddenly, okay, I would like 85 private students now to pay my bills. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that takes yeah. a while to build up. Uh, and I had a wife. I had a kid, yeah. you know, so so I had to stay where my, uh, where my work was. But it, it worked out great, and, and God bless me. So that was a long answer to that question. No, um, no, I hope that, you're satisfied.
0: <laughs> oh, no, no, that's that's great. And so, um, and you you taught. Um, I don't know if, w- what the timeline looked like or what what schools you were you are referencing as, as far as where you were teaching. But you did teach at LD Bell for a little while, right. which is where long Kara long time, yeah, From
1: like 1980 or 86 to 2006. Wow. I didn't realize you were there for that long. Oh yeah. I went through three different band directors there. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Great school. Great program.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, you would have left before Kara got there, but, um, uh, I can't remember if her older brother would have, I feel like, no, I feel like he still would have come after you, but, um, but yeah, but that's 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 kind of cool. I remember, or I remember. Small world, huh? Yeah, I remember seeing uh, in in your composition class seeing the LD Bell. You had something from LD Bell on your wall, and yeah,
1: when they uh, won state marching in two thousand four, I got a little, uh, yeah, a little uh, 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 appreciative award mm-hmm. from them for helping with the low brass yeah. coaching and things cool. like that. And so then, how did you uh, end up at Hardin Simmons? The French horn professor at the time was Lawson Hager. Mm-hmm. He's a legend at Hardin-Simmons and <laughs> yes, with the Cowboy is. Band, and um, he was stepping up to be the dean of the School of Music. And as the French horn professor, again, it's a small school. He was also teaching whatever low brass students they had, which was just like one or two per semester. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but at the time they had suddenly an influx of great euphonium players. One was a performance major, yeah. um, who, uh, I'll go ahead and say his name, Michael McKnight, who teaches now all the students I used to, well, not the same students, but teaches at all the schools <laughs> I used to teach at a bunch of them in the Metroplex in the Dallas Worth mm-hmm. area, um, doing, you know, uh, pretty much the same thing I used to do, but anyway, um, so Lawson Hager was teaching the French horns and some music theory and they started getting more low brass students coming in. He moved up to be Dean. So initially um, I was just a visiting instructor, just part-time. I would just come out on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Oh, also um, Dr. Bernard share, who you know very well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) um, was overwhelmed with how many theory students he had. The program was growing Mm -hmm. and he was, uh, A normal teacher's load is 12 to 14 credit hours of courses. Mm -hmm. That gives you a 40-hour week as far as, you know, preparation and grading and everything you have to do, okay? He was sometimes doing 22 to 23 credit hours of courses. And they were having to pay him a lot of overtime. So Mm -hmm. somebody looked at it and said, hey, instead of paying him overtime on top of his salary – Let's get some nut to drive out here from the Metroplex <laughs> maybe twice a week and take over some of his classes. So I took over a uh, sophomore level composition, mm-hmm. computer music class, and taught the low brass students. Well, the program kept growing, and I remember um, I did that for about two years, and I remember one of my last semesters as part-time, just driving out there two days a week. The um, administrative assistant looked at me and said, you're almost full-time. You've got 10 hours of coursework you're teaching. <laughs> uh, wow. yeah. And uh, so uh, Lawson Hager, God bless him, um, convinced the administration to make it a full-time position, cool. but still as a visiting professor, but full-time. So we took a leap of faith because um, I'd already become attached to the school Mm -hmm. and, uh, and the cowboy band and the whole, you know, ambiance of Hardin Simmons out in West Texas. And, uh, we moved the whole family out there. Myself, my wife, we still had two kids in high school and uh, I was worried they wouldn't like it in Abilene, but they loved it. They flourished. They made new friends. I think they had better friends. They got to Cooper high school and it was very laid back. Mm -hmm. Everyone's just more relaxed and cool. And they loved it and flourished. Uh, so, um, I was a visiting instructor for two years, and then they made me a tenure track, you know, more permanent contract professor. After that, yeah. So,
0: wow, that's awesome. And and then what what year was that 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 was?
1: Two thousand six is when I yeah. became full time. Well, cool. two thousand six is when they made me full time, and two thousand eight is when I got a tenure track contract. Yeah. And uh, then just through uh God playing tricks on me and having fun at my expense. <laughs> now I'm sitting where Lawson Hager did. That's right. In the dean's chair. And you know it's 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 weird where you end up sometimes. I I never wanted to be a leader. Yeah. But I remember getting elected band president when I was in high school. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? And I think I did a good job. The band director said I did a good job. Band president, I don't know what they do now, but we had to do a lot of stuff with organizing the band banquet and all kinds of other mm-hmm. things, and and it was a little bit of work. Um, and I remember one time being in a college uh, youth group. We were doing a small group, and we were talking about spiritual gifts, and we – had to like write down what we thought someone else's spiritual gift was.
0: Oh, yeah, that's cool.
1: And I really didn't see myself this way, but everybody thought my spiritual gift was leadership. Wow, I'm like, no, that's <laughs> stupid. Um, <laughs> so, uh I don't know. I, th- I thought back on that after I was um, forced to become dean. <laughs> just, I mean, it really just kind of – I didn't try to. It just kind of yeah. happened. Think, yeah. This happened. That happened. This happened. You know, hey, we need you to be associate dean, and no one else can do it. So <laughs> There you uh, go. <laughs> and uh, it I tell you this, it's improved my relationship with Christ because I find myself in prayer much more often, mm-hmm. even when I don't have some crisis, I need to pray about just yeah. just to pray about my day and thank Him for everything He's blessed me with, and to please help me to respond to things with the Holy Spirit and not mm-hmm. with frustration or being short with people or you know, yeah. um, I, you know it's it's helped me spiritually. Yeah, that's really um, cool, and um, I'm. I'm just. I'm sure that helps with the job too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. No, but, that's, but here I am, associate dean. I'm just glad I still get to play gigs and yeah, oh and definitely do that stuff. You know, of course, I was worried. We we always worry. I was worried that I wouldn't be able to do as much stuff anymore. And, yeah. Sure.
0: Yeah. Well, that actually was something I did want to ask you about. You know, with with the position that you're in now. That is pretty different than a lot of other people we've interviewed so far is, I mean, you're still a teacher, you're still a professor, you're still a performer, but you are now in that position where it's a leadership role. It's almost, almost more of, it's more of an administrative role in a, in a way. Yeah. And so so I moved to the dark side. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. Uh, and, and so that, that was what I wanted to ask about though, was what are, what are some of the biggest things that what are some of the things that you have to deal with now on that side of things that you didn't have to worry about from a just a teaching perspective and and i'm asking that in case you know there are very well maybe teachers listening to this that one of these days maybe that those responsibilities may be thrust upon them kind of like it was for you
1: well of course now i'm a liaison between uh, people above me and my faculty Mm -hmm. where, you know, we're told, Hey, there's this thing that everybody's going to have to do. And I have to, you know, explain it to my faculty, Mm -hmm. you know, things like that being a liaison also being the face of the school of music. If someone in the community, and this happens really quite a bit, I think it's wonderful. Once say a piano teacher wants to have their studio recital at Hardin Simmons, I'm the one that coordinates that and reserves yeah. the room. And, 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 you know, you it's, so there's community outreach, people contact me, can you help me, you know, get musicians or maybe a student to um, perform or do this or that, you know, so I'm sort of a community liaison, but as far as um, well, let me just say, I think probably the most difficult thing I have to do that gets easier the more I do it is determine, curriculum assignments who's going to teach what class make sure this person isn't teaching too many classes are we offering the right classes this semester and that's taking a little getting used to (laughs) um a lot of research and and talking to other people um new curriculum we have um three new degrees now they're they're not new in like different but but we've changed them um, we've moved from having a bachelor of music in composition or in church music or in performance to a more competitive degree that other schools are doing. And, you know, after researching this, we need to stay competitive. These, mm-hmm. these other degree, yeah. uh, it's called a bachelor of science degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I found out after we started talking about this, that our director of choral activities, Doctor D. Romines, mm-hmm. when he was a band director years ago, <laughs> we have a band director teaching choir. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's, he's a choral director. Yeah. <laughs> but his first gig, you know, bachelor's degree, it was a ba- was a bachelor of science in music education, mm-hmm. and he was a band director. You know, yeah. so so it's it's not a super new degree, but it's it's becoming more popular for degrees like. Uh, performance or composition, um, it allows them to focus more on their specialty yeah. without having to do like, say, you know, a foreign language for mm-hmm. instance, mm-hmm. and, and all these other, it, it, quite frankly, it's, it's a little further away from the bachelor of arts type yeah. curriculum. Yeah. It's more s- specified. Okay. So we needed to put these degrees together and, um, uh, I worked on it. Uh, My predecessor, Dr. Robert Tucker, was working on it, and our uh, former uh, uh, professor voice, Dr. Christopher Hollingsworth, was working on it so we could get these three degrees put together. And then we had to get them approved by uh, the faculty. By the Board of Trustees. Mm-hmm. Well, not in that order. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, it goes through a process up the chain of command and yep. eventually yep. by our accreditation board, the National Association of Schools of Music, or NASM. That's been a lot of paperwork. That's been working over the summer, working on weekends, mm-hmm. making sure we've crossed every T and dotted every I, getting everything in a row. And and we finally we, – we got the first two degrees approved – by NASM pretty easily. But that third one, the Bachelor of Science in Music Worship Leadership Concentration, they didn't know what to make of that. Yeah. that that's kind of new. Yeah, yeah, We just got it approved, and we're seeing that's great. Uh, that degree grow. Yeah, I yeah. think we've had more students Um, applied to the university interested in that music Mm -hmm. degree Mm -hmm. than any other music degree this last year. Now, just because they, as you know, just because they apply doesn't mean they're going to show up, Sure, but we've had a lot of interest in it.
0: Yeah. And I think Um, I've run into a lot of people on the road that that mentioned that as well.
1: And, um, and so those are some of the things you have to do in administration Mm -hmm. as a music dean. Yeah. um, and uh, quite frankly, that wears me down sometimes. It's very yeah. rewarding when you finish, and oh, you're for like, sure. "Yes," but uh, oh, I love just teaching. I'll yeah. be working on those things, and then I realize, oh, it's three o'clock. I have a tuba student, and my I'm just like, "Yes, I get to play my tuba." Yeah, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> let's great. play some duets. <laughs> yeah. Oh,
0: for sure. No, that's that's a great mindset to have. Yeah. And so then going into um, private lessons, mm-hmm. um, and that's another thing that's different than compared to a lot of other people we've interviewed is is you do you've almost always done private lessons as your main source of teaching you haven't done a a whole lot of were were you ever like a full-on band director or was was it really just never yeah then that's hey that's that's pretty cool now you do do jazz band Mm -hmm. um at hsu which we can talk about that more Mm -hmm. in a little bit but um when it comes to private lessons um well, first of all, I, I do want to ask, especially with with that story you shared from when you were young and and when you you tried taking private lessons. I mean, how has that how has that experience as a young kid shaped how you go about doing your private lessons now that you're in the shoes of the instructor?
1: Well, um, I am honest with parents, mm-hmm. but I don't tell them your child has no musical talent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I say his heart's not in it. Maybe. Hmm you know, let's try again in a a few months. I I don't want to take their money and just be treading water with a kid. Mm -hmm. So I've had the conversation where I say, you know, why don't we wait a few weeks, maybe try again. Mm -hmm. Or I've even done this with high school students (laughs) because you know, now that I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty busy guy, but I'll teach a couple of high school students, you know, not for the money they have to pay me, (laughs) but I'll teach them if they want to learn. Mm -hmm. and uh, I've done this before uh, recently where I've said, you know, they're not practicing what I asked them to, and I say, you know what? I'm going to let you contact me when you have worked on this piece and you're ready to play it for me. You let me know, and we'll have another lesson, Hmm. and then like a month will go by, and maybe I don't hear from them. And then, you know, they do practice and we get back into, sometimes that works. Other times I never hear from them again. Yeah, (laughs) And that's fine. And then there's other times when I call the parent and say, you know, little Billy, his heart is just not in it. I I don't want you to be throwing your money away on lessons if he's not going to practice. And they have said, well, at least he gets to practice once a week with you. Hmm. And I say, so you want to pay me. To help him practice once a week. And you're going to pay me $40 an hour to do that. They hmm. say, yes. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, I, sure. I I want to be honest with him. <laughs> That's good. Uh, does that answer your question? Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, for sure. Now, and college students, it's easier because you can threaten them with their grade. <laughs> yeah. And they have to see you every week and you get paid whether they practice or not, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. So,
0: <laughs> and so then when it, when it comes to the actual, you know, let's, let's get into the actual techniques of, you know, when you're teaching, you know, low brass and, and especially, I mean, I, I need to ask this cause I'm obviously not a low brass player. I'm not super familiar with, with that area, um, you know, you know, you've been teaching low brass for a long time. And, and if you need to think about this, you can, or, or maybe, you know, right off the bat, um, <clears throat> what what do you think are some of the most common, I don't want to make it too broad of a question, but just what are some common, I guess, struggles or, or, or things you see kind of reoccurring across the board with, with students, with brass students, things that you feel like you always need to focus on, you know, immediately when, when oh, teaching,
1: that, that's easy for me to answer. Mm-hmm. Cause I can tell you what it is. It's, uh, it's fun to make noises on brass instruments. But if you want to play the really cool stuff and sound like the cool guys and gals you hear in recordings, you've got to develop strength and flexibility in your embouchure, in your lips. That means you have to do exercises. Exercises are boring. <laughs> yeah. And the main thing I start with, even with beginners, is try to get them to do a daily routine where they do a certain set of exercises and they can change it up from time to time, but they've got to develop. I mean, it's, it's, it's like the martial arts movies, wax on wax off. (laughs) It is just like that. You've got to develop muscle memory, breath control, and muscle strength. Mm -hmm. And, those that are willing to do that end up really excelling because learning to read notes and rhythms, that's easy. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. that's just a little bit of math. You know, this note is this long, yeah. this note is half as long, whatever, and pushing the right buttons. The rest of it's physical, mm-hmm. especially with brass. Um, I'm always envious of, pian- envious of piano players. If they want to get a good sound, they just hit that key. Hey, that sounds beautiful. It's a Steinway. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not <laughs> yeah. that way on trumpet yeah. <laughs> or, or any other brass instrument. Um, so, yeah, that that's the thing that I emphasize at first. Uh, I remember when I first started taking lessons, I had a great teacher, uh, so thankful to my parents for paying for private lessons because I think this guy changed my life. He gave me a little set of exercises. He said, these exercises take about seven minutes to do. If you'll do that at the beginning of each practice session, by the time you get to high school, you'll be an all state player. Wow. He was right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And that's the thing I notice That's the most common thing in my students that don't do well. Sometimes after a few lessons, after I've given them something that they're supposed to do every day, Mm -hmm. I'll say, let me hear you do slur exercise number two without looking at it. Mm. And they can't even remember how to start it. And I'm like, fail. <laughs> you know, but that, that's what you have to do if if you want to, you know, play the cool stuff. Yeah, for and, sure. Yeah. Well,
0: and the big thing there, well, well, first of all, I hear that. And it's, I mean, obviously that, that can be applied to any instrument, not just low brass. Um, maybe it varies depending on what physically you're talking about from instrument to instrument. But when it comes down to those basic exercises that
1: you've oh, yeah. you got to do. Voice, piano. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah, especially, I didn't mean to make fun of piano. Um, I shouldn't because I'm a horrible piano player <laughs> and I teach keyboard harmony at Hardin-Simmons, oh, yeah. which is showing them, you know, chord progressions, but also scales. And boy, that, that takes oh, yeah. some muscle control, oh, muscle sure. memory, flexibility, dexterity, mm-hmm. uh, practice, yeah. exercise, yeah. which I don't do on piano, which is why yeah. I stink at it. <laughs>
0: yeah, for sure. Well, and then the other thing that jumped out at me too, again, is, is that, It's almost more about consistency than it is about volume. Mm -hmm. Um, It's, it's, it's almost better to practice a little bit frequently than than a lot every now and then. And I
1: tell them that I'm like, you know, don't, don't tell yourself, all right, I got to practice for two hours today. Mm -hmm. You'll never find that two hours. Yeah. Just tell yourself, I'm just going to play for 10 minutes. Yeah. Next thing you know, you played for 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. That's pretty good. You know? More and more um brass teachers now, when I go to conferences and hear other professors talk, are advocating the opposite of what I was told as a child, which was you need to get in that practice room and play for two hours every day yeah, ah.
0: yeah.
1: there's a There's a point of diminishing returns after about thirty minutes. you mm-hmm. start to get tired mm-hmm. and it's harder to focus and concentrate yeah and what they're recommending more and more now is like maybe play 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes mm-hmm, in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. That might be enough, you sure. know, an intense 30 minutes and mm-hmm. then 30 minutes in the evening, you know, yeah, definitely. again, if, and, you know, maybe more if you have a recital or something coming up, but that way you get that focused, attentive, engaged mm-hmm. practice and exercise. I, I like to during the summer, spend my morning session just focusing on exercises. Sometimes I'll go 30, 45 minutes, take a break, eat lunch, you know, do stuff, take it and have a nap, and then um, warm up again in the afternoon. You, I find my embouchure, my lips warm up very quickly because mm-hmm. I played in the morning and then focus on music. Yeah. Um, and uh, rather than, you know, sitting there for two hours in a practice room like I used to do in college.
0: Yeah, um, definitely. That, that kind of – I've mentioned this before in the, in the past, it kind of reminds me of, um, the 80, 20 rule of that. Generally, it kind of seems to be that 80% of your results come from 20% of your efforts. Mm -hmm. Um, and to me, that kind of sounds like that's the 20% that Mm -hmm. those, that frequency, and that's at least doing a huge chunk. Yeah. Just start out with that 20%
1: and then take a break. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, you know, the diminishing returns, you start to get tired. Yeah. Yeah. And you start to train yourself how to play when you're tired and Mm. screwing up and getting a bad sound.
0: Yeah. You know, at that
1: moment you're training yourself to sound bad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I emphasize, you know, always, you know, getting your best sound and, uh, then when you start to get tired, don't don't keep playing on tired lips. If yeah. you really overdo it, you can actually damage the muscle tissue. Yes, and I I you, can. You want to strain it a little bit, you know, like if you're lifting for weights. Sure. Yeah, that's how you. We don't want to pull a muscle. You don't want Definitely. to tear something, which I've done. Yeah, and I think, and I don't know <laughs> to if, my chop.
0: And I don't know if you've experienced this um, in regards to composition, but I feel like I've I feel the same way when it comes to writing music. Yeah, um, there have been there have been. I feel like most of the time, my I'm. I won't say my best writing, but it's most easy for me to write when I'm writing in shorter, shorter bits mm-hmm. over, over time instead mm-hmm. of sitting down for three, four five hours at once and trying to just push through this. Yeah, You get mentally piece. exhausted yeah. and, then,
1: and then you don't want to come back to it. Cause yeah. that's what you remember. Yeah, You know, I had a piece once that took me like four years to finish. Yeah. Oh yeah. Same. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> that just kept happening to me. And then, yeah, um. Finally, I started doing what you're talking about, mm-hmm. and then sometimes you get to a point where you get really inspired. And next thing you know, you have been working on it for an hour yeah, or two hours, for sure. But you're not tired because you got all yeah. this adrenaline. Like, oh wow, this is coming together, definitely. and I'm going to do this here, and ooh, and then uh-huh, that, and uh-huh. then, you know, that's exciting. Yeah,
0: that definitely. And I, and I bet I bet the same can be said just in general for you know habits when it comes to having to do all your teaching stuff and prepare and, and all the, all the mentally physically draining things that you have to do there. And, um, I understand that we, we, we've been down this rabbit, this rabbit trail for him before rabbit and, hole, and rabbit hole. Yeah. Rabbit hole. And fix uh, that in post. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking of the piece I wrote called rabbit trail, <laughs> but, uh, um, Yeah, it's it's really easy to kind of just get just zoomed in on on all the different things you have to do. But a lot of times in the long run, you actually, it feels like it takes longer, but you're using less energy, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, over Mm -hmm. the course of that amount of time. So exactly. Perfect. Let us take a quick break, real quick, so I can tell you a little bit about this podcast's primary sponsor, which is Christian Fortner Music. That's right, my own music business. This is the primary platform that I use to sell my music, and you can uh, find it at www.christianfortner, that's F O R T N E R, music.com. Now, you may be thinking, oh, I don't know, this guy is a young composer. Does he really know what he's doing? Well, (laughs) to be honest, none of us composers really know what we're doing if if we're being completely honest with ourselves. But if you want to kind of get an idea of what my music might be like and if it might be a good fit for your ensemble, you can actually uh, get a free copy of music from me. That's right. A free piece of music. This isn't just a study score. This is a uh, full score and parts that you can use for your ensemble to perform completely for free. And you can do that by signing up for my mailing list. So if you go to my website, Christian Fortner, that's F O R T N E R Music slash mailings, you can sign up for my mailing list right there, and you'll get a link in your inbox where you can select a piece of music for either choir, string orchestra, or a band. And I should also mention that the choir piece it can be either an sab sa or tb version so uh, for any of you out there that are looking for sab sa tb specific voicings like that then this might be a good opportunity for you Uh, so yeah that's about it again if that's something you'd be interested in just check it out on my website and now we can get back to the episode okay well well let's talk about jazz because um, you are also the director, of, you know, you're the director of the jazz band at HSU, and jazz is, I feel like, is a pretty unique um, side of of uh, teaching, in my opinion, <laughs> from someone on the outside looking in. Just because it's it's such a different style and type of um, ensemble, and and how you go about, you know, doing things um jazz is an excuse to play wrong notes (laughs) yeah that's right yes yeah and so okay so then that could be my question
1: how do you teach someone to play wrong notes (laughs) (laughs) well that's actually that's actually kind of fun because uh most people are familiar with a bluesy sound yeah the blues are right at the forefront of the creation of jazz, really before jazz. And, you know, you can't say that one thing evolved into another. There were a lot of things happening at the same time in the early 1900s. But people know what a bluesy sound is. Mm -hmm. And then you can get on a keyboard and you can play like an F major chord, Mm F-A-C, and then have your melody go F-G-A flat, And it's like, ooh, that sounds cool. But then you just play the A in your left hand against the A-flat in your right hand. Oh, now it sounds wrong.
0: Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: And, you know, when when jazz first came about, if you look at – and I just read some of these recently. It was really entertaining. If you look at music journals of the time, which were more likely to have a big, long article about Rachmaninoff or something, Mm -hmm. you look at music journals of the time – and many people felt like jazz was just noise, <laughs> all the wrong notes, yeah, you know, yeah. like what I just described to you. Um, and so a lot of it, learning to play those wrong notes, is is developing your ear. And there's a lot of different ways, uh, and we're talking about jazz improvisation right mm-hmm. now. Um, there's different ways to approach it. Some approaches that work for some people are learning patterns or licks. Mm-hmm. And learning, when I look at an F7 chord, these are the different patterns I can play that sound cool with that. And you'll hear some people play like that, and very virtuostically – I've even got a book called chord studies where it's all these different patterns and some and sometimes in the summer I'll just spend time playing through that just over and over again brainwashing myself and then maybe I'm playing a jazz gig in the fall and I find myself playing some of those patterns and it's fine but if that's all you do it's not very creative yeah um uh I, I don't want to dump on anyone that does that because you can do those patterns, build excitement, and also do creative things as well. Sure. But, but that's part of it, playing patterns, knowing what your established notes are you can throw out with that chord. But a bigger part of it is learning to use your ear where you know the basic scale that works. But then in your practice, you experiment with playing notes that are not in that scale, And then what we call in composition tendency tones, you know, like that A flat against the A. And if you take that A flat and go up to an A, you know, it sounds cool. Or go back down to G, it sounds cool. And um, some of the jazz improvisers that I like the most are those that seem to uh, be more creating a melody, telling a story, rather than just playing scales and arpeggios and patterns. Mm Uh, people like um, Michael Brecker, may he rest in peace. J.J. Johnson. Um, I should name some more current ones, but my my <laughs> brain just went blank. Um, so uh, does, yeah, that that's the whole thing about wrong notes in jazz. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's it, it's about coloring the melody. Yeah. Now sometimes you'll hear a jazzer do something we call going outside, mm-hmm. and. That creates a different emotion, a different feel in the story they're telling. And that's where they will purposely play a whole measure or two of wrong notes that do not resolve, that really do sound wrong. Hmm. And you think, you know, like maybe he fell out of his chair or something. I don't know. I was like, <laughs> what? And then they're back on. And it sort, of, it sort of knocks the listener off balance for a second. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you do that judiciously. And like I said, it can be part of the story that you're telling when you're yeah. playing that solo. And uh, kind of hard to do mm-hmm. for me and do it effectively in a cool spot. Definitely. But um, I can do it sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: never realize how hard it can be to be wrong.
1: <laughs> but I could see someone that's not a jazz aficionado flipping radio channels and hearing just a little bit of that and being like, Oh my goodness, that's terrible! And yeah, then continue. Sure. On, yeah, yeah. <laughs> flip the channel again. Yeah, I got and, you. And there's a, there's free jazz too, which uh, was a thing back in the '60s, especially where um, jazz musicians would get together in different groups. Uh, Miles Davis had a, a combo that that did a lot of this, uh, where um, there's no written melody. There's no decided upon chords. You just, someone starts with maybe some sort of rhythmic, Mm -hmm. you know, idea, and then people just build upon it, and you just let it go and see what it turns into. And if you're in a group doing that, it it can be magical. But it can also end up like one of those things where someone's turning the radio station. (laughs) I remember um, on a music appreciation test, not my class, but someone else's, uh, music appreciation, you're just trying to learn, you know, a lot of different musics and composers mm-hmm. and appreciate it. And, and then the tests are usually very simple. You're just hoping they take away some of the big points. And so mm-hmm. two of the questions on this test were, you know, what does swing music sound like? Mm-hmm. And the person answered music that makes you want to get up and dance. And then the next question, what does free jazz sound like? And the person answered, music that makes you want to get up and leave the room. <laughs> I'm sure the professor wanted a little more detail like I just gave about free jazz, but that was pretty yeah. good. I hope they <laughs> gave it to him. That's awesome.
0: <laughs> so like for someone that maybe not be super, you know, even some someone that has a, a experience in, in band and, and playing a... You know, playing saxophone or low brass or you know whatever, but they've never actually done a whole lot of stuff in jazz before. Someone that's maybe in a teaching position and maybe they're they they're finding a lot of students that want to you know have the opportunity to do some sort of jazz band, um, and maybe they get that opportunity from their school district. You know, what what advice would you give someone that um, maybe doesn't have a lot of experience teaching or forming a jazz ensemble, but they're wanting to kind of take? start dipping their toes into that. You know, what do you think is a good kind of a good starting point and how to go about doing that?
1: Listening, a lot of listening. Mm-hmm. Um, I have students that come to me and say, I want to learn how to do jazz improvisation. And I say, okay, who do you listen to? And they'll, Oh, wait, I've got to listen to people. I mean, <laughs> th- that's really how it all developed in the beginning and still develops. You have mm-hmm. someone, um, you know, creating an improvised jazz melody, other people are listening to it and, and they'll try and do some similar things. And anyway, I recommend for people learning jazz improvisation is to listen to players they like and try to copy what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, get a hold of the music and look at the chord changes and like, Oh, there's that chord and look at what they played. And now in this day and age, it's wonderful. You can go on YouTube and there are tons of youtube videos where someone has taken an improvised solo that a famous artist played and written it out in sheet music with the chords so that you can you know sit there and pause the video and rewind like oh look what he did here you know and it gives you creative ideas and then you can try and play along uh one thing we did when i was in college is you would take those we call them transcriptions you would transcribe uh an improvised solo that someone played, and then you would learn that solo like an etude. Mm. Um, Someone that wants to be a jazz band director, listening to a lot of recordings, listening to recordings of the same song by different ensembles Mm -hmm. and seeing Mm -hmm. how they approach it. Um, You have to immerse yourself in listening to develop that, um, that reflex of what sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I was in grade school, I liked to read books. I was the kid, when we would line up and walk down to the cafeteria for lunch, I was reading a book in line while we walked. I just couldn't put books <laughs> yeah, down. that's awesome. And so when it came time for English class, I never had any problems with grammar. Mm-hmm, so I could just mm-hmm. look at a sentence and I could tell, oh, that doesn't sound right. Yeah. Because of all these books I was reading. Yeah, it's the same yeah. thing with jazz. Oh, yeah. You can tell if something sounds right. If you're, um if you're listening to a lot of it, mm-hmm. you know, so that's my best advice, a lot of listening and oh, so easy today. You can, I mean, when I was a boy, if you <laughs> wanted to compare the swing style on, you know, let's just pick one of the greatest jazz standards of all time. I got rhythm. If you wanted to compare that from you know, five different combos or five different jazz bands, you'd have to go to the record store and buy all those yeah, records. Yeah, now you can just get on YouTube and mm-hmm, find a mm-hmm. hundred different versions of it and compare. Yeah, um, so uh, I think that's one reason too why we're seeing a resurgence in the popularity of jazz amongst mm-hmm, young people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a period of time in the 80s and nineties when, you know, jazz was really on the decline, but Mm. um, uh, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it uh, much more popular with young people than it has been in decades past. And part of that might be the accessibility to exploring it that we have. Yeah, definitely. A bunch of spoiled kids these days.
0: (laughs) And what about um, like when it comes to, I'm just curious when it comes to the instrumentation of the ensemble, I know, I mean, the impression I get is that it can be relatively flexible, depending on what your needs are. But I mean, is there a, is there a standard kind of base instrumentation that, you, when, and when it comes to to jazz
1: ensemble, or does it really? Well, if you're matter? talking about big band, it has evolved and changed, and you can find varieties all over the world. But if you're going to go buy music. For big band, the standard instrumentation is four or five trumpets, four or five trombones, five saxophones, and then rhythm section, piano, bass, drums, guitar. Uh, combos are all over the map. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, um, I've seen jazz combos with euphonium and trumpet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, pe- people don't often think of euphonium as a jazz instrument. Um I've seen people play jazz on penny whistle on bagpipes. Yeah. And, um, cool. Yeah. So there's a lot more variety and combos. Yeah. Um, Well, and when you think about it, I mean,
0: I mean, who's to say that the essence of jazz has to stay within harmony, you know, that could be with an instrumentation as well. (laughs) Um, throw something in there you wouldn't expect. Well, that's Mm -hmm. still technically what jazz is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. And then another random question I just thought of, uh, what did you think of the movie Soul,
1: Pixar? Did you see that movie? that was wonderful. My favorite part (laughs) is for the trombone playing. They actually got a real trombone player Uh and animated the correct positions. I mean, I know we're a minority, but they just don't (laughs) know how much that bothers me. (laughs) Sure. You know, when you watch a movie, you want to be immersed in it. Yeah. And then if you watch someone playing an instrument that, you know, Mm -hmm. and they're just totally holding it wrong and (laughs) and fingering it wrong for the notes, it takes you out of the movie. Yeah. It takes you out of the immersion. And, And man, it's the 21st century. How hard is it to (laughs) figure out how someone holds a trumpet or that was great. And it was a great story too.
0: Yeah, definitely. I I really liked it. I just randomly thought of that. I'm
1: glad I've seen it. That would have been embarrassing when you asked me that. question. Yeah.
0: Right. (laughs) Yeah. I think I sent you one time I've seen their, their videos where people will get like cartoons, uh, of people playing the trombone or something, and then yeah, someone she sent will actually—that that was awesome.
1: <laughs> they'll actually play what they're what they were for. really doing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, this is actually what that would have sounded like. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. That's great. Love the internet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, um, I think that's
0: a pretty good place to kind of start wrapping up. Um, okay. Before we before we do that, I mean, is there anything else you you think any any wisdom that you think? People should know. My brain has been drained. (laughs) That's okay. Hey, we got a full hour's worth. um,
1: Well, you know, as far as music goes, especially if you get into it professionally, sometimes you forget that it's supposed to be fun. Mm, It becomes work. (laughs) And especially working with students, it's supposed to be fun. And if I could just leave one piece of advice, if any future educator or current educator is listening, is um when you're correcting a student always try to be positive positive yeah. reinforcement don't say you know you know wow that's horrible I hope nobody hears you play that you <laughs> instead say so why don't you won't you try it this way maybe that would come off a little bit better you, yeah you, you want to, musicians tend to be a little bit melancholy mm-hmm. we can be moody because we're we, we tend to think if someone doesn't like the way we play, that they think we're a bad person or that mm-hmm. if you don't play your best, you think you're a bad person. Yeah. <laughs> it's real tied up in our, our psyche, our sense mm-hmm. of self-worth. And over the last uh, 20 years, the last – I've been teaching for almost 40 years. I'm pretty old. But over the last 20, I've really made a concerted effort to be more positive positive. Mm-hmm. and i 've seen results yeah it 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 really helps to uh be give more positive reinforcement, remember it 's supposed to be fun, make sure they have some fun in a lesson, and in your own playing mm-hmm. it's supposed to be fun. So I'll leave you with that.
0: That's huge. No, that's awesome. Thank you. Um, and then one last thing before you go, um,
1: Nope, I'm done. (laughs)
0: Yeah, that's, that's it. Uh, just to cut it off right there. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about, um, if any, you know, any teachers are listening and they have, they have students that they, that are considering going to college for music, um, would you mind just telling us a little bit about Hardin Simmons's um, music school of music and what all you kind of, you kind of mentioned a lot of that stuff earlier, but just kind of give us an overview of what what there is uh, available.
1: Well, one of the most visible parts of the school of the school of music, see I'm, my tongue is getting <laughs> tired is the uh, world famous cowboy band. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I'm going to a cookout for the oh, yeah. freshmen that's going to start in about 45 minutes. Oh, awesome. And, um, it's not your traditional UIL state contest marching band. It's more of a show band. They get on the field with cowboy chaps and cowboy hats and hoot and holler. And it's a lot of fun. Now, if you go to Hardin Simmons and major in music education, you'll still take courses in drill design and mm-hmm. marching band and stuff like uh, you know that. But um, it's more of a show band. It's more fun. It's like a fraternity. You get into the cowboy band, and they will shepherd you through mm-hmm. your university mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. Mentors. I've seen them in the band hall helping freshmen with homework. And the same thing with the choir. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. They mentor each other. They they build each other up. They hold each other up. Uh, uh, one of the things I love about Hardin-Simmons in, in being a small school and being a faith-based university is I uh, just think there's more encouragement. Yeah. Amongst the music students, whereas I went to a state school and it was a little more cutthroat. Yeah. In fact, I remember a saying we had: if someone was complaining about it being hard or having difficulties, they would say, "Get a job." Wow. I don't. I don't need to be competing against you. Get a job. Get out of here. Mm -hmm. You know. Oh, it was. It was. It was tough. Wow. Um. And uh so I like the encouragement because I've seen students. I could name names, but I won't, that I thought were going to drop out. Mm -hmm. Like by the end of their sophomore, junior year, they were just failing. And then they turned a corner. The lights came on. God worked in their life. I don't know. They finished and are now highly respected and successful musicians and educators here Mm -hmm. in the state of Texas and all over. And I think, what if I had given up
0: Mm -hmm. on that person and said, you
1: know what? I'm tired of you missing class. Get a job. Yep. Yep. You know, what if I'd given up? I'm, I'm so glad we didn't. Um, so, we, of course, you know, have the cowboy band, uh, our wonderful uh, choirs, uh, the uh, jazz ensemble, and um, uh, great piano studios. You can get a degree in music education vocal or instrumental, as I mentioned earlier, composition or performance or worship leadership, wonderful worship leadership program. You get to participate in the uh, chapel band mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. lead worship services on campus. Um, and uh, what am I forgetting, Christian? Music business. That's what Yeah, music is. business. Yes, music business, where um, you get to work with our wonderful uh, Dr. Tucker, who is a musician, a fine horn player and composer But he's the dean of the school of business yeah, And he yep. uh, leads our music Business program and he has A doctorate in music And a doctorate in business This yeah. guy is smarter than I am <laughs> Or maybe more disciplined So um, Also plays French horn in the key city brass With me mm-hmm. wonderful guy uh, Yeah in music business and you can also Get a bachelor of arts which is mm-hmm. You know just more of a, a general Sort of music yeah, studies Yeah yeah uh, but uh yeah i i I really like it, and because of the smaller school and the smaller classes when i first i'll tell you a, sh- a quick story here yeah when I first arrived at hardin Simmons, coming out of my you know state school experience um at the end of uh the year, we had what they called senior comprehensive exams, and at that mm-hmm. time they were given orally. Mm-hmm. That's so why I sat in a room with all these professors and some poor student in the judgment seat. <laughs> oh, yeah, one at a time. It was horrible. But I'm listening to the questions this student is having to answer about general musical knowledge that they've had through the years at Hardin-Simmons. And I thought to myself, if they had given me that exam at the end of my senior year at North Texas, I would not have passed that. Mm. Because I was in classes with 50 to 100 people yeah, and, you know, machines grading your Scantron homework, no feedback. You just sink or swim. Mm-hmm. And it's just a little more hands-on at Harden simmons You can stop a professor, a professor in yep. the hall and yep. ask them a question. They'll talk to you. They're more available. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm really, really proud of the quality of student yeah. that comes out of Harden simmons sure. um, So that's all I have Great. to say about that. And Harton Simmons, uh, correct me if I'm wrong,
0: is the the oldest accredited school of music in the state, right? Yes,
1: we were accredited accredited by the National Association of Schools of Music in 1930. Wow, our first one in Texas. Wow, that's yeah, awesome. Take so, that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of a, a little bit of a fun fact there. Well, yeah, it. I mean, y'all have already heard on previous episodes. Um, you know, me and Kara, we've talked about our experiences there, and it was uh, incredible. I mean, that's it's because of the School of Music that we even met, um, and so that holds a special place in our heart. Um, and and we also have interviewed um, other School of Music faculty in previous episodes. We interviewed Dr. Romines, which uh, I think he's episode four um and then uh who's our choir director and then bill hardin who's our band director and the cowboy band director um i believe episode um seven or eight uh and then you'll have to go check and then uh dr Cher as well who is our um uh, adjunct composition I bet he professor. was a hoot yeah yeah it was it was great it was a fun time um so so yeah y'all y'all are welcome to go back and listen to those episodes if y'all want to get to know them a little bit better i'm i'm sure we'll have some other and simmons faculty on here in the future but um but uh yeah and and how can how can anybody uh reach you if they're interested in they have questions about and simmons school of music
1: you can call the school and ask for me um my office number is 325-671-2127 and uh, you can find my email if you navigate through the website academics colleges and schools cynthia ann parker college of liberal arts school of music faculty there if you know how to internet you can find it
0: yeah (laughs) perfect well thank you so much dr cotrell for being on the show um you know we've really enjoyed having you as part of the leadership at harden simmons and i think you're doing a great job and um it's been (laughs) it's been great working with you from an admissions uh perspective and working with y'all to you know and recruiting and we're getting ready to start traveling here in a couple weeks and i'm excited to uh, hopefully talk to some more new music students and send them your way cool (laughs) All right. Yeah, of course. Thank you very much.